This is Tanakhcast. Welcome back to Tanakhcast. This is episode 35, Numbers chapters 12 through 15. We begin chapter 12 with a moment between siblings, and in typical siblingy fashion, it becomes a piss-taking session that thankfully doesn't involve rocks or blood-soaked garments. But there are real consequences here because words hurt too, damn it. Miriam, and from the odd construction in the text, I guess also Aharon, has something to say about Moshe's wife. That she's black. <laughs> then God appears and calls them out for, I guess, being racist, and then smites the offending siblings with Sarat. Actually, well, no. God just smites Miriam. And Aharon intercedes on her behalf with Moshe, which is the least he could do, since she probably took a bullet for him. And Moshe then intercedes on her behalf with God, who tells him, Listen, if her father spat in her face, wouldn't she be embarrassed for about a week? So, let her sit by herself for a week and think about what she did. And when she's done, everyone can literally and figuratively move on. Chapters 13 and 14 recount the story of the spies in the land of Canaan. God commands Moshe to pick twelve men as an advanced team for eventual settlement, and Moshe instructs them to gather some human intelligence about the indigenous people, their cities and fortifications, and the fertility of the land. They get some grapes, and after forty days return with their report. Yes, the land is good, flowing with milk and honey, but... The locals are fierce. And their cities are fortified, and the Amalekites are in the south, and the Hittites and Jebusites and Amorites are in the hills, and the Canaanites are along the coast, and, 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 and. And although Kalev tries to Pollyanna-ish, come on guys, we can do it, the rest of the spies say, That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. What the fuck are we gonna do now? What are we gonna do? The people react immediately wailing and bemoaning their fate of dying at the hands of the giants of Canaan. Some propose returning to Egypt. More, despite motivational quips from Kalev and Yoshua, take rocks in hand to stone Moshe, Aharon, Yoshua, and Kalev when God speaks out from the tent of appointment. God says that never you mind, his people will inherit the land, but not the ungrateful bastards who saw all the miracles, the exodus, and the food in the desert, and the water, and the manna, and the pillars of fire and smoke. Nope. Not them. Only the children, the ones that were supposed to be slaughtered by the wild horde of Canaanites, only they will inherit the land. Everyone else, all the inveterate grumblers and kvetchers, they'll die in the desert because for the next 40 years as punishment, they'll wander in the desert round and round and round and round and round until every last one of them, except for Yoshua and Kalev, will drop dead. Some of the Jews decide to take matters into their own hands. Well, since we'll inherit the land anyway, why not inherit it right now? And Moshe says to them, Stop, don't come back. But, as expected, they don't listen, and they're slaughtered by the hill folk. Chapter 15 recounts many of the near offerings the Jews are to offer once they take up residence in Canaan, including fire offerings, vow offerings, grain gifts, flour, wine, rams, the young of the herd, round loaves set aside for God, or near offerings in case the community screws up and offends God in some way. But meanwhile, back in the desert, a man is found picking wood on Shabbat. He's brought before Moshe, who, as in the case of the foul-mouthed ne'er-do-well, needs to consult with God because apparently no one had ever collected wood on Shabbat before. God tells Moshe what he told him before, death by stoning. So let it be written. 
So let it be done. Then God moves on to instruct Moshe about tzitzit, the tassels to be worn on the corners of your garment with a thread of blue violet, quote, in order that you may keep in mind and observe all my commandments and so be holy to your God. There's a lot to talk about this week, and Tema Smith, Toronto Discussion Group Coordinator for Bikol Lashon, has a lot to say. So let's get to it. <laughs> I have Tema Smith with me, and welcome to TanakhCast, Tema. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. I nearly forgot to show up for this. (laughs) And and what are you drinking right now? I have a delicious steamed milk with vanilla syrup for my late night beverage. Okay, so if if, uh, we hear any sounds of beans grinding, we know where you are. Yes. So t- talk to us a little bit about this week, this week's portion. I mean, it's, it's like, as, uh, as you know, we said before we started uh, recording that this is a, a really weird mix of, of anecdotes. Yeah. I mean, it's always struck me how strange it is that in the middle of the book of numbers, you have this one chapter where, you know, Miriam and possibly Miriam and Aaron basically, uh, you know, talk some smack about Moses's wife. And it's just one chapter before you get into a pretty key part of the whole entering the promised land narrative when he sends out the the scouts to check out um, what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it just, there's something about that chapter that's never really sat right to me because it just seems like such a an interjection, number one. And also it's, the little anecdote that's told, you know, maybe Aaron is involved in the trash talking. Maybe Aaron's not involved in the trash talking. In any case, Miriam gets punished mm-hmm. uh, quite severely. And uh, they have to sort of hold back and wait for Miriam's punishment to end because she spoke out against the fact that her uh, brother married a black woman. It's a kind of a strange chapter. This is clearly not the first time that, that, Mos- that Moses' sister-in-law, you know, met the family. Right. Presumably, she would have met them back in Egypt, at least. It's one of those moments where you sort of think about the the redaction of all of this and sort of wonder, okay, and how did this one end up there? Was it really like, oh, we forgot to include this story. Uh, where can we put it? We'll put it here. But, I mean, that seems like too clumsy of an explanation. Um, but I can't really find, I've, I've like tried flipping before and tried flipping after and tried to find some sort of cohesion within the book of Numbers. And it's just never quite worked. And it, what I find also very interesting is within the same few pages, it's actually into the next parsha, into Shlachlicha, where the community uh, starts you know, talking uh, talking a little bit of smack about God and what is this mission he sent us on? We should be back in Egypt. So the only thing I've been able to par- think of to parallel it is, you know, there's it's sort of a few chapters where gossip and talking bad, talking ill about leaders uh, mm-hmm. prevails, and ultimately in both cases there has to be contrition on the part of those who were talking talking badly about other people and in earlier in the parsha in the halotecha which is the one that this chapter is actually in you know 
in chapter 11, the people took to complaining bitterly before the Lord. It's like a weird assortment of people complaining <laughs> chapter to chapter to chapter here. Well, I mean, we have a long history of, of, of complaining as a people. Yeah, we really we really do have a, have a bit of a history of that for sure. But I guess when it becomes uh, when it takes on kind of a racial overtone, you know, God won't have it. Yeah, which is which is interesting um, to me, given contemporary discourse around both intermarriage and marrying out, given that presumably a Cushite woman would not have been uh, Jewish Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, the Jews were Israelites at the time. Uh, So who knows what mechanism of conversion, if any, existed at the time. So number one, it it kind of throws an interesting um, question out there for me about, whoa, hold on, this is Moses. You know, we always say in in the liturgy today, you know, we never saw, and, and the Torah ends with, we never saw another prophet like Moses. And so here's our number one prophet in our whole tradition, married to a non-Jewish black woman, which always makes me laugh, number one. And number two, it, it, it sort of raises some interesting questions around people coming into the Israelite people and who and how much was going on of people becoming absorbed through marriage into the Israelite people. Of course, that changes uh, later on when they go through the land of Israel and sort of clean it out. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, until then, it's a little bit more questionable how permeable those lines are. Miriam is, uh, you know, in Aharon, talk badly about Moshe's wife. And then there's this punishment and Aharon intercedes with Moshe and Moshe intercedes with God. And then there's this kind of moment at the end where God says, you know, something to the effect of, well, wouldn't a daughter be embarrassed if her father spit in her face? Yes. So what, what sense do you make of that kind of analogy that, you know, that they put in God's mouth to explain why Miriam has to be, you know, has to, has to spend some alone time. That one I've, I've really struggled to, to understand actually, like on just on a basic level, what, what the heck is the metaphor here and what is, so she would be thrown out of the camp for, seven days if her father spat in her face whereas you know obviously i guess the question is what would be her sin if her father spat in her face to Mm -hmm. use sort of a colloquialism there and i've really sort of thought hard about that and i'm still i'm i'm not gonna lie i'm still lost on that it's it's kind of strange who's the father in this analogy yeah (laughs) (laughs) basically you know it's it's not clear in the hebrew it's not clear in the english it's just a very, very, very strange moment. And, uh, you know, when when Aaron intercedes on her behalf and Moses cries out saying, you know, heal her. And he says, no, she's got to, She's just got to bear this. It's it's interesting that he was that or that, you know, God was this harsh with with her when essentially Moses is the person who she has tried to offend by by speaking ill of his wife is saying you know heal her from this punishment you know she does essentially she's learned her lesson uh let's not punish her so harshly uh, so it's it's kind of a weird and i and i also find it interesting and i know it's the question of sort of leprosy and what what the actual plague was but it, it's ultimately i find it interesting that she speaks out against whether it's the color of his wife's skin or the, her status as an outsider, and then she's actually afflicted with a skin color changing 
illness and shut out as an outsider for the seven days Mm -hmm. uh, so as not to contaminate so there's almost a strange parallelism there which is which has always been interesting to me so what sense do you make of this story okay so in its context it's just kind of a total outlier it just sort of seems plunked in there what sense do you make of this story for for our time well for our, our time i look at it and it's really an interesting time in the Jewish community. I mean, I'm sure you've, uh, if not read the whole thing, at least perused uh, the Pew report. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I unfortunately, in my sort of professional life, um, aside from the Bahulashan thing, I also work at Congregation Darche Noam. And in my professional role there, I read it cover to cover. Um, and, and, you know, a, a, and then a lot of the commentary really decrying intermarriage and really decrying, um, you know, low rates of affiliation and myself coming from an interfaith, uh, you know, interracial household, I sort of uh, have always loved this chapter because here you have Moses married to a non-Jewish black woman. And like I said before, that's always made me laugh. (laughs) The idea that, you know, Moses, who is, you know, he's Moses, has has similar parents uh, to to some of us who have not always had an easy time integrating into the Jewish community, mm-hmm. and and you know probably uh, Miriam's statements uh, here that she's punished direly for are some of the reason are, are comparable to some of the reasons that people with similar backgrounds to me have not always had an easy time. So I really enjoy taking a look at this chapter and seeing you know. God is not joking around here. He's like, Miriam, that was too far. Seven days, you are shut out. You know, you're, you're turned into an outsider for your comments. That, that to me is a really interesting moment, but also something that we can really sort of take to heart and sort of Bechol Hashan is really uh, dedicated to advocacy for the inclusion of, of Jews of color and multiracial Jewish families. And really sort of, if there is if there has ever been an advocacy banner for that particular cause out of Torah, Mm -hmm. this chapter is it, (laughs) you know, who knows what Miriam even said. All all we get is that he married a Kushite woman. That that's, that's the only thing that we, that we really get. And, and then sort of implying that maybe Moses is, is a lesser, uh, is a lesser prophet because of this, because he's my translation. I've, I've got the, the JPS to not hear has the Lord spoken only through Moses. Has he not spoken through us as well? So, you know, somehow them with their sort of pure Jewish families are elevated and Moses is uh, diminished based on his wife, which I think really is a strong, I'm being a little bit rambly, but that's, I don't, I don't know. I get rambly. It's a really strong moment for me where, where it's sort of, Moses retains his status in this chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I do find interesting, though, is that, and I'm back into text interpretation, I'll get back to contemporary in a second, that the Lord calls all three of them out and comes down to them in a pillar of cloud. But Moses is there when he when he sort of speaks to Aaron and Miriam to call them out on, mm-hmm. their, on their bad behavior, which is a very interesting moment. So... Again, I think for me, what the takeaway is, is I think we as a broad Jewish community have a lot to learn from this chapter. I mean, I've, I've heard enough times, you know, I, I'll be up in sort of a 
stereotypically Jewish uh, restaurant grabbing some lunch and over here, you know, people of my parents' generation <laughs> talking about their kids who are dating out and dating people of different races and, oh, what a Shanda it is mm-hmm. and things like that, that we have a lot to learn about the fact that I would say that Moses is pretty much the ultimate Jew, whether he married out or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do you encourage the maintenance of that Jewish identity so that if somebody does, I mean, we all know that intermarriage is here to stay, so that if somebody does marry out, and I even hate that terminology of marrying out, but if somebody marries somebody of another religious background, that they can maintain that status. Their status as a Jew isn't diminished because it's really clear in this chapter that Moses' status is not diminished in any way mm-hmm. um, by that. In terms of intermarriage uh, as being kind of a dirty word, I think that, you know, as they say, uh, consensus changes every 20 years or so. Yeah, about that. So. Yeah, we're, we're moving in a very different direction. I'm also, I'm a professional affiliate of the Jewish Outreach Institute, which is essentially dedicated to a lot of things but one of their major one of their major focuses is doing some real concrete programmatic Jewish outreach to enable interfaith families to have rich educational Jewish experiences um, so that they can bring elements of Judaism into their home in ways that suit their families Um, so really exploring both lowering the barriers so that they feel comfortable and confident and also creating educational opportunities from the from say in a household the parent of another uh of a different religious background to come in and have sort of a one-on-one on what to seder what to expect at a seder and things like that so it's really interesting watching it from when i was a little kid and like intermarriage was a really dirty word mm-hmm. to today when there's actually well-funded american organizations looking at exactly how to create that sort of inclusion in a really concrete way, it, it's encouraging to watch. And I sort of think that uh, the God of this chapter should be the sort of rallying cry in some ways. Uh, and the Moses of this chapter should be the rallying cry in some ways. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Tim Smith, thank you very much for your time and for your insight on this uh, portion in the Book of Numbers. No problem. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Thanks. As always, you can leave a comment, question, or comment at the Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash Tanakhcast, T-A-N-A-K-H-C-A-S-T. Or at the nextjew.com, or leave a comment, question, or comment at the iTunes store, or at Stitcher Smart Radio, or SoundCloud. And while you're at it, why not leave a review? That way, other folks who are looking for a little Tanakh learning might discover this humble podcast and join in the fun. You're invited to come back and join us next week-ish for episode 36 on the Book of Numbers, chapters 16 through 19. Y'all come back now. Here.